Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ who gives us countless reasons to give thanks and to be thankful. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know if you know this, but we live at an extremely good time to be alive, and especially in America. You might not think it if you've been watching the the TV lately and it's all attack ads and political promises that you know don't carry weight and negative news left and right. But we live in a good time, especially in America. I don't know if you realize most of our worst problems are problems that probably half of the population of the world can't even dream about. The idea that that you would be persuaded or attempted to be persuaded by politicians campaigning for your vote for a massive portion of the world's population, that's a foreign concept. Vote? What's that? They don't get a choice. They just live under the rule of the person in authority at the time, usually by force. No, we, we struggle. We try to figure out how are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to do this and do that and, and be able to pay the mortgage on our 2,000-plus square foot house while most people have less rooms in their entire house than we have bathrooms? No, we try to, try to figure out the budget. You know, what's our, our food budget for the month? What's our plan? How many times can we go out to eat? where somebody else prepares the food and serves it to us. That's a foreign concept for a lot of people. And we try to figure out then, the weather changes, not how are we going to survive, not even how are we going to stay warm or how are we going to stay cool, but no, our problem is, is the fight over who controls the thermostat, right? No, 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 that's too warm. No, 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 that's too cold. It's funny how our problems, our, our biggest problems, the things that we fight about, the things that we get mad about, the things that bend us out of shape are such little things because we have so much to be thankful for. And you know what's crazy, though? We live at an amazing time to be alive and to be alive and living in America. And yet, our society is filled, perhaps more than ever, with an epidemic of anxiety and fear and cynicism and jadedness and depression. It's rampant. Things have never been better, and yet so many people think it's never been worse. It's kind of crazy, and and psychologists, they have all kinds of reasons, all kinds of contributing factors, and, and a vast majority of them are spot on. I think there's a simple one that perhaps we, we tend to overlook. And it's one that is so simple and that God wants it for you. And it's simply to be thankful. To be filled up with thanks. To have gratitude. See, we, have, we as a society, we haven't completely forgotten all of our manners and, and we have a complete inability to say thank you. But let's be honest, it doesn't happen all that often anymore, right? 
instead our, our first takeaway this morning, and I applied it broadly, but I want you to think about whether this is true for you or not. Modern Americans might occasionally give thanks, but we struggle to be thankful, to be filled up with thanks. So that, really what that means is there are moments, there are instances, there are times when we say thank you, when we give thanks, maybe we thanks, think it as well, especially when something really good happens, when someone's very generous or very helpful but our lives in, as a whole, thanks is not a, a part of it. It's there kind of as a, you know, a little bit here and there, but it's not, the, it's not the main thing. It's not living and occupying and dominating in my heart. And this morning then we start a whole series about what it means to be full of thanks, that, that our hearts then would be filled up with this gift from God of being thankful See, there's a really good reasons for it. There is actually an entire science, science field dedicated to gratitude, studying, researching gratitude. And do you know what they've found? They've been doing this now for almost 20 years. Uh, there are some leading researchers, and, and some of the things that consistently come up every time they do studies on people who intentionally practice gratitude, that means they stop and they, they take note, they think about all of the things that they are thankful for, all of the people in their lives that they are thankful for. And you know what they found? Those people sleep better and sleep longer at night. Those people have lower blood pressure. Those people have more joy and optimism and happiness. They feel less alone and isolated. And they're more forgiving, more helpful, more generous. Are those things you want? Yeah, me too, right? Those are good reasons, good reasons to stop and be thankful. And perhaps that's why Americans struggle with being, with, with all of the, the anxiety and depression because we, we aren't very thankful. But as Christians, we actually have a better reason. It, it, all of the, the psychological and the physical and the emotional benefits, those are all well and good, but that is not our primary reason. Our primary reason for this whole series, a primary reason to give thanks and be filled with thanks is because God says it. Look what he says. This is one example, but it certainly sums it all up, doesn't it? God says, give thanks in all circumstances. That's hard to do, isn't it? What God's saying simply in that verse is, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me that in your best moments, I am pouring out my mercy and my grace upon you. And in your worst moments, I am pouring out my mercy and my grace upon you just the same. That you always, no matter how good or bad the day has been, that I have reason to give thanks. And that's really what this whole series is about. That we always have reason to be filled with thanks. And this morning we find a, a Bible lesson that, that demonstrates that and, and reminds us and encourages us to live a life that's filled with thanks. It's from the Gospel of Luke. It's an account from Jesus towards the end of his earthly ministry as he's traveling now to Jerusalem for the last time before he is uh, put on trial, betrayed, put on trial, and crucified. Let's find out what happens from Luke 17. 
Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now before we go any farther, I want to share with you a little bit about that because it's hard for us to really appreciate the plight, the, the situation of those ten men. Leprosy just isn't a thing today. It's certainly not, not the way it used to be. In Jesus' day, though, leprosy had two common dominant traits. Uh, it was a skin disease that, that ate away at, at flesh and skin. It was a nasty, nasty bugger. And here's why it was so bad. Not only was it painful and gross, but it was incurable. Once you got it, you weren't getting rid of it. And it was extremely contagious. So that meant if you contracted leprosy, well, your life was basically waiting for that leprosy to kill you. And until then, well, your life was no longer the same. You couldn't live, you couldn't touch anyone that you knew or cared about, you couldn't give hugs, you couldn't slap on the back. You had to live outside of town. The only people you could come near and come into contact with were other people who had leprosy. No more work, no more friends, no more family, at least not in proximity. The, the joy and the purpose and the meaning of life is gone, and these men are simply waiting for leprosy to claim their lives. And then to add insult to injury, they had to, anytime anyone came anywhere near them, they had to shout out, unclean! So that everybody knew, oh, I don't want to go anywhere near that guy or that lady. They have something I don't want. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? To imagine this chronic and terminal disease that not only robs you of your life eventually, but in the, until then it, it robs you of society, it robs you of, of the good things in life, it robs you of family, of friends, of work, it robs you of church. And to the point where you have to shout at people to stay away from you. But did you notice that's not what these guys did? They shouted. They shouted to Jesus as he was coming somewhat near them, but they didn't shout unclean, did they? Look at what they shouted. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Certainly, word had spread. Jesus' earthly ministry was almost a full three years in now. It was towards the end, and certainly word had spread. Everybody knew who this guy was. Everybody knew what he had done, how he had healed unimaginable things. People who had been born blind, born crippled, and Jesus had given them sight that they had never known, given them the ability to walk that they had never known. He had healed diseases that could not be healed. He had driven out demons. He had even raised the dead. They had heard. They knew. And so they cried out, not unclean, but have pity. And literally, the word that they shouted was not just feel badly for us, right? Because that's kind of what we generally think of as when we hear pity as an emotion, right? Oh, I pity you. That's not what they were asking Jesus to do. Literally, the word that they said is have mercy on us. 
See, mercy is different than pity. Pity is, I think we in in English at least, associate that as an emotion, right? I feel this for you. But mercy, mercy isn't a feeling. Mercy is action. Mercy is something that is demonstrated. It's an action that is shown that is completely undeserved. It's grace in action, if you want a, a simple way to remember it. And they asked Jesus, have mercy. Show us grace. Undeserved love. Notice, though, they didn't ask Jesus to do a specific thing. They just said, have mercy. And it seems as though they trusted him. They trusted him enough to call him master, first of all. And they trusted him enough then to know that he would do what was best. So look what Jesus did. Verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now again, that makes no sense, right? If you're, if you're sick and you want a clean bill of health, you don't stop at pastor's house. Please, don't. That's not the way our society works, but that is the way society worked in Jesus' day. If you wanted to re-enter society, you had to show the priest. And so to be able to go home, these men needed to be healed. And when they were healed, they needed to go and prove that they were healed to the priests. So when Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priests, you know what those men heard? They heard a promise. They heard hope. And they understood it. We know they understood it. We know they believed it. We know they trusted it because look what happened. They went. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I'll be honest. I could preach an entire sermon on that seven words. There's so much packed into there. It's so cool, isn't it? It's so amazing the way God works. Jesus didn't make a big show, abracadabra, wave his hands around, make a paste, make a potion. He didn't do a whole big mumbo-jumbo thing. He said, go, all right, go, guys. Show yourselves to the priests. And, and they were healed. Jesus performed this incredible miracle, curing the incurable in such a non-showy and yet amazing way. But isn't that the way God usually works? He works through the power of his word, which seems to so many to just be, you know, black words on a white page. And yet for those who see the power of God, they know that those are the words of life. God works through that word connected to water to make you his child, to wash you in baptism. God connects those words with bread and wine to give you the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So often God works through through seemingly simple, right? The, The prayers spoken before a meal, the prayers whispered through tears, God is the ultimate power in the entire universe. And yet he chooses so often to work in such simple and seemingly insignificant and even powerless ways to those who don't believe. 
But for those 10 men who were on the way to see the priest, that power was very real, wasn't it? Try to imagine what that must have been like after living who knows how long with this incurable disease and they had just been given the promise, the hope of life. I'm guessing they weren't, you know, trudging along. I'm guessing they were going as quickly as their failing bodies would let them. And as they went, can you imagine wondering, hoping, is this going to come out? Look at my hands. Look at my, look at your nose. Look at your ears. Can you imagine the joy and the relief and the excitement as these men were all of a sudden cleansed, healed, made whole? They could go home. They could go to work. They could see their families. They could hang out with their friends. They could join again in church. This was the gift of life. They had asked Jesus for pity, for mercy, and instead of giving them a couple of bucks, instead of giving them a little bit of food, instead of giving them just a a trinket, a token that would provide them just with a, a short amount of relief or enjoyment, he had given them their entire lives back. Wow. What do you think their response was? Take a look. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus heals ten. One comes back. That's, I'm not great at math, but even I can do that. That's 10%, right? 10%. 10% who, who were given their lives back. This wasn't just a, an insignificant gift. This was mercy, unbelievable mercy. Now, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. It's not recorded, so it's a little bit of speculation, but I can understand how... You know, these guys, I've been in their shoes, right, where something so good happens and and you get caught up in the moment and in their excitement to go and see the priest, they forgot. And after they had been declared clean and they could go home, well, that's what I want to do. I want to go see my family. I want to go kiss my kids. I wonder, though, I wonder if they had thanks in their heart. Imagine there was something. Imagine they went, oh, thank you, but then kept on, right? And they forgot. They passed right over what a gift had been given to them that, that no longer did they have to shout unclean, but that, that shout of theirs, their, that cry of theirs was replaced by, by the cries of, of parents and spouses and kids as they hugged and were reunited they had forgotten the one who had cured them of the incurable. They forgot to thank the one who showed them mercy. It's hard to fathom that, isn't it? I mean, man, come on. What is wrong with you guys? You should be better than this. 
And it, boy, I, I want to think if I had been one of those nine, we would have been up to 20%, right? My gratitude is more like, you know, I'm not, I'm not down here, but, but I'd like to think I'm more like 90% gratitude, 10% ingratitude, unthankful. I'd like to think that until I actually stop and, and consider how often Instead of thanking God for what he gives, I, I tend to focus on what I think he should give, on what I think I'm lacking. I tend to forget about the blessings that I've had for, you know, more than a day. Because in the moment, it's easy to be thankful, but, but boy, when I've lived here and I've had that and I've been married to her and had those kids and it's been a while and years and decades and yeah, it's, I don't view it as a blessing anymore. I'm pretty ungrateful, aren't I? And it's real easy to forget that, that I was one of those nine. Not with leprosy, but with sin. Afflicted with this incurable disease that I had no way of living through. That it was going to result in not just my body decaying, but in eternal suffering in hell but that Jesus had mercy on me. That he came and he lived in my place, that he died for my sins, not just giving me a, a token of, of happiness for a few minutes here in life, but he died to take away my sins, to give me eternal life with him. I wish I could say my gratitude was, was higher, because it's certainly, I have countless reasons to be filled with thanks. But I'm not sure I can. And if you're anything like me, maybe you're not so great at gratitude. And as we get to the next takeaway, I want you to stop and, and think just for a moment. When you woke up this morning and you got the extra hour of sleep, did you go, woohoo, extra hour of sleep? Or did you go, oh, the kids didn't know? The dog still had to go out at the same time. <sighs> I get to go to church. Or, oh, it's time to get up. We got to go to church. There's a different attitude. And I want you to, I'm just going to throw a few examples up here. And I want you to stop and think about, were you thankful for 10% of these? As we get to the next takeaway, I want, you to, I want you to fill in the blank. I'll give you the first one. You give me the second one. The, fill, the takeaway is I often struggle with gratitude because I feel what? You feel too busy? I got to keep going. I don't have time to stop and, and think about what is good in my life. Because you're too stressed and that keeps you focused on the negative stuff? because you feel like you're lacking, what is it? I'll, I'll give you just a minute. Think about that. See, here's why it's important to understand, to identify what it is that you struggle with. 
the main reason is because Jesus has forgiven it. That's the good news, isn't it? Man, when I stop and, and I want to think of myself as that one guy who went back, but really, wow, I am, I'm like the nine. My gratitude is poor. And yet God didn't say, that's it, forget it, I'm cutting you off, you ungrateful little... But he says, let me show you mercy again. See, the reason it's important to identify what I, why I struggle with gratitude is because Jesus has forgiven you and me and those nine other former lepers. He's forgiven us for all of the times that our, our gratitude is shallow and fleeting. For all of the times when we think that he is holding out on us, that we deserve, we should get, he should give me this. For all of the times that I am not very thankful, Jesus saved me from that. He saved me from a life of worry and of fear and anxiety, and he saved me for a life that trusts in him for salvation and for hope. Hope of eternity. Jesus wants me and he wants you to know this, this really simple truth. And if you only walk away with one thing today, I hope that it's this. That it's because of Jesus, I always have reasons for gratitude. That one leper, he got that, didn't he? He understood. And that's why... Did you notice he didn't even make it to the priest, at least not right away. When he realized he was cleansed, he stopped. You can almost hear like hitting the brakes like on a cartoon, right? And he went back where he came from. He went back to find Jesus because there was something that was more important than going to the priest and being able to go home. There was something more important than that, and that was Jesus. And so he went back to Jesus, and he, with his words and with his heart, poured out all the gratitude that he had because Jesus had mercy on him. And that brings us to our last takeaway this morning that because it's easy to sit here right, right here and now, right, to, to think about, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be more grateful. I'm going to show gratitude. I'm going to I'm gonna thank God for all of his blessings and it's go for it. And then you get home and the reality hits, right? And then tomorrow morning, work, well, it's coming. And, and the boss wants an answer and the alarm clock goes off and the kids need to be fed and there's 20 errands to run and there's 10 bills to pay and, 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 and. And gratitude seems to get put way back on the burner. When that happens, I want you to remember something very simple. It's our last takeaway this morning. That no matter how your day goes, no matter how busy, how stressed, how pulled in a thousand different directions you are, how much you think you're missing out on, that you can always be full of thanks. Because your life is full of God's mercy. So I want to challenge you. Starting this week, I want you to take every day and make a list. Put it up on the fridge, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it somewhere where you're going to see it every day. And I want you to write down three things each day 
that you're thankful for? What are three things that God blesses you with? Obviously, the, the first couple of days are going to be easy, right? But what happens when it's a bad day? What happens when you get to the end of the week or into your second or even third week? And I've kind of exhausted the, the obvious ones. When you get to that, when you start to run into the rough days, come back to this. Because your life is full of mercy. Every morning, God's mercy is new. Every morning, you wake up as a new creature, as his child, forgiven and free. Stop and bask in that. And thank the one who shows you mercy day in and day out. Because that's why you get to be filled with thanks. Amen. May the peace of our God, which goes beyond our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.